0: This is your host, Karen Tate. And uh, you were just listening to a tiny snippet from Jenna Green called uh, Sawan Nights. And uh, if I remember, I will let you hear the whole cut. Uh, at the end of uh, the interview. So, uh, again, welcome to the show. Uh, This is our uh, special show celebrating Samhain or Halloween, and tonight our topic is uh, Familiars and Witchcraft, uh, the new book out by Maja Daou. She's a scholar of alchemy and occult lore, Uh, so I think it's going to be a lot of fun and uh, for newcomers uh, to all of this, uh, whenever you see that word, S-A-M-H-A-I-N, it is not Sam Hain. it's actually Samhain. So uh, just a little tidbit there uh, to kind of get you up to speed on uh, what I believe uh, uh, is this, this Celtic holiday. I think that's where we get the Samhain from. So uh, just a little bit more about the author, Uh, Maja, uh, also known as the Witch of the Dawn. uh, She's a practicing witch uh, and, as I mentioned, a scholar of alchemy and occult lore. Uh, After completing her bachelor's degree in biochemistry, she studied oriental medicine and acupuncture and later earned her master's degree in transformational psychology with a focus on shamanism, the I Ching, and the ancestors. Uh, She is the author of A Witch's uh, Bee. Bestiary, Visions of Supernatural Creatures, co-author of The Secret Source, and creator of a tarot deck, the White Witch Tarot. And she lives in L.A., and um, her website is witchofthedawn.com. And uh, this new book she has out, uh, Familiars in Witchcraft, put out by Inner Traditions and Bear Company, Uh, the subtitle is Supernatural Guardians and the Magical Traditions of the World. So, Maja, welcome to Voices of the Sacred Feminine. Thanks so
1: much for having me, Karen. It's a real treat to be speaking with you.
0: Well, you know, when I saw your book, I thought, you know, I love cats. And I know so often cats are uh, familiars of of witches and priestesses. And uh, I thought, what a great show. Uh, this would make for, uh, you know, for the Samhain um, season. So thank you for making time to be with me this week. I know this is traditionally a busy week uh, for witches of the world. It's true. I have been
1: very busy, although probably not in the way people might imagine or stereotypically think a witch is busy at this time of year. Honestly, I'm not sure what people think it is, (laughs) <laughs> we just do, but I'll tell you what I have been doing. I've been doing funerals because this time of year is about the dead and our ancestors and paying honor to the dead. so what I've been busy doing is doing death work. I'm not sure if you do any of that, uh but this is it's really been I do it all year long, but this year, especially at this time has been um really a lot of that coming up for people.
0: Well, you know, if you're talking about um, how we traditionally see this time of the year is when the veil between the worlds is thinnest and you might have the best chance at communicating with your ancestors, were you referring to that or was there more to it?
1: Yes, that is most of um, the Halloween traditions that folks hold. Uh, like trick-or-treating, for example, Uh, in most of the Celtic traditions, they would be leaving the treats out for the dead that would come through that thin veil. So a lot of the uh, kind of things that people do now that they're not sure where they came from, giving the treats to the spooky things that come to your door used to be uh, to give to the dead. And going way, way back, it was, uh, I'm, as I'm sure you know, it was tied to the harvest season, which was the grain gods. So you would make these grain cakes or these special kinds of cakes out of grain, uh, which were really like Osiris um, Eucharists, or later known in more European traditions like Ireland or Scotland. They became known as the John Barleycorn. Uh, traditions where they would make these cakes or also beer. A lot of times beer or, you know, grain alcohol was used. And then they would leave these treats for for the ancestors or for the dead that would come through the veil at that time.
0: Well, you know, like so many things uh, today, you know, uh, Christmas coming up being another one of them, um, you know, so much is taken from the pagan traditions. And uh, unfortunately, most people don't know that and uh, don't really realize what they're doing today dates back to uh, those uh, days of, uh, you know, pre-Christianity, pre-Judaism, pre-Islam.
1: I know. It's it's kind of crazy how short-sighted people are when they participate in these cultural things, but then they don't know what they're doing. It's funny, I think
0: yeah i I do too i really do in fact uh I think i'm going to have a special show um around thanksgiving uh with uh one of the contributors to my last anthology uh, Jeanette Blonigan Clancy uh I think we're going to talk about that uh, actually about you know all of the uh the pagan roots of uh christianity so and and here this is just uh another one of them and um and did I have it right um Amaja, when I said Salwyn uh, is actually uh, a Celtic word, is that where we get the, the, the term Salwyn from? Yes. Uh,
1: in my research, it's definitely related to the Celts, and um, they used it, uh, the fairies were very connected um, to that. And to this time of year, I, there's a chapter in my book on familiars about how fairy spirits were also considered familiars. I know you mentioned the cats, which of course are the most famous familiar spirits. And we could talk about the cats too, because it's a really great story. Um, But the fairies were well known as familiar spirits. And even they had families. So I mentioned that familiars uh, really comes from the word family. So it's, Related to families and ancestors And things like that And so fairies in in the Celtic traditions, A lot of people thought That they were their ancestors That there were some bloodlines That had fairies as Your ancestors So the Samhain word From the Celtic Was actually describing this time When the fairies Would come through and they were your Ancestors and you would have to give them These treats to give to the dead, and your ancestors, or else the fairies would trick you, so you would get a dirty <laughs> trick
0: from the fairies if you didn't give them a treat. <laughs> well, you know, let's, um, you know, let's, I, I'm thinking probably best to uh, start at the beginning. Um, I, You know, I like to assume, you know, sometimes my listeners are new to all of this, and um, you know why don't you start with a description of you know what is the familiar spirit um, you've mentioned the fairies we've mentioned uh, you know the cats um, I saw in some of your promotional materials there's also the fetch spirit but you know you know just sort of a, a, you know in, in general what what do you refer to when you when you uh, say the familiar spirit
1: yes it's
0: Very confusing and
1: um, good for folks to investigate, I think. Uh, Most people really feel familiars are animal spirits, and that's how they're usually presented. So, you know, as our pets, your pet cat or pet dogs, uh, then other people will extend that to wild animals, things like crows or foxes or a kind of spirit animal um, that you might have. But... If you research into the traditions, familiar spirits extend much farther than just animals. They include plants, like trees. A lot of folks have trees as familiar spirits, including the Celtic folks. They had, of course, the oak tree was a big deal, and they thought they were relatives or family. Um, A lot of folks have rocks or mountains. Or even entire countries can have familiar spirits. The land that you're on can have a spirit associated with it. So it really is hard to nail down. And then when you get into some of the older literature, things are described as familiar spirits that aren't even like living beings. There is a lot of supernatural creatures like dragons or um, you know entities angels sentiences or intelligences that are also considered familiars like a lot of the literature includes guardian angels or your demons so it's very wide and I feel like most folks kind of think it's only black cats so in the book I really stretch that out to include almost anything that has been considered a familiar spirit
0: thats that's very interesting and and you've actually taught me something tonight uh because i I honestly wasn't aware of that um you know I'm you know of the of the thought that it's you know your more traditional uh you know animal who maybe lives in your household or somehow interacts with you or sometimes we've heard you know familiars assist you so uh, so let me ask you then um uh, you know, if we, you know, some, you know, the, the, you know, the, the general folklore is that, you know, the witch's is familiar is her assistant, so to speak. Um, if, if we take that definition, um, can we then apply it to these other things that you've described? You know, the lock, the tree. I mean. Um, it would would those be um, assistants in a way, or is that sort of a different category of familiar? You're
1: exactly correct. it's they're known and described as an assistant or a guardian. so and really kind of like teachers. So for example, with the tree, one of the most famous Tree familiars was the Bodhi tree And one of the things I mention In my book is that in India They felt like familiar Spirits uh, That were trees and then they list a lot of Animals as well would teach and Confer spiritual Messages to the witch or the Practitioner so really They were assistants and They give you data or Information and also Protect you So this would be true of the animals. For example, we have Hecate and her dogs. So her dogs are her familiar spirits, and they guard and protect. They also have their own information so that Hecate and the dogs have kind of like a communication or an understanding. So with most of the instances of familiars, there is a dialogue or a relationship that we have with them. So... It's very much assisting um, the practitioner or the witch to gain spiritual knowledge. Sometimes they'll give them medicine information, like with a lot of the shamans that have familiar spirits or spirit animals or animal totems. Those totems act to protect and guard, but also offer assistance in the form of knowledge knowledge. And um, they'll like, for example, say what kind of medicine to give to their sick client. A very helpful information like that.
0: Okay. Well, and I and I have to give give you just a little uh, interesting tidbit on um, you call her call her. Uh, Hecate, I think, um, and yes. I used to say in Um, when uh, I, I took some sacred tours uh, to sites of the goddess around the world a few times. And the last time we were in Turkey, we went to the only standing temple that they've ever found so far uh, dedicated to Hecate. And what was really interesting, I, I mean, I, I immediately, you know, my antenna went up. Usually, when we went to the sacred sites nine times out of ten, if we saw an animal on the site, it was always a cat because we all got to the point where we carried food in our purses and fed them because they were always hungry, and you know we would you know we would just see um, you know just multitudes of cats when we got to Lagina or Lagina i'm not sure of the uh, a uh, precise way to pronounce it uh, in Turkey, uh, Hikate's, uh sacred site. No sooner had the doors to the bus opened than this black dog came bounding up to us and followed us the entire time we were there at the site and doing ritual. And I thought, how appropriate, she's here with us.
1: <laughs> wow, that's
0: amazing. That gave me goosebumps.
1: It's so true. I know, I, I know. <laughs>
0: The hair standing up on the back of my neck, just, you know, I'm seeing it in my mind's eye as if I'm back there, you know?
1: They're real, and they become bonded, uh, you know, like you have a bond with your pet. And when you have these spirits affiliated with you, the relationship is so close that you share a consciousness or a sentience, essentially, you know? So, Right. It's, um it's really intimacy. It's about intimacy.
0: Yes, yes, I I believe that. And you know, and most definitely, you know, witches are people who believe these are, are sentient beings. You know, these are not just um you know, uh you know how how people uh, you know, just sort of sometimes disregard uh pets as uh uh, I don't know. The word isn't coming to me. But uh, you know, they, they have so little regard for them. You know, they don't think they're sentient, and um, uh, you know, but, but that's not the the way a witch would look at her familiar. And I'm and uh, in, in reading some of your stuff, Maja, um, I think you refer maybe to the familiars as um, supernatural intelligences, or, or are you referring to something else? Um, uh, when, when you yes. use the term supernatural intelligences.
1: Yes. So there are, of course, the natural intelligences. And those would be like the animals, you know, like the cats and dogs and our uh, pets. But then there are also familiars to witches uh, throughout time that I call supernatural intelligences simply because they don't have a physical form. So the way I would describe something supernatural is that it's outside of our nature realm, which would mean to me in another dimension, but that's just how I've experienced it. Maybe other people would, you know, hem and haw about it, but I feel like the supernatural would mean it's kind of out of physical form, I guess would be my easiest way to describe it. So that would be like if you have an angel or something Speaking to you. And I like the best example of this is Socrates, who, of course, had his daemon. And this is a very famous, familiar spirit that is just more like a a guiding intellect. And Socrates was very open in speaking about um, this spirit. And he said that this spirit gave him all kinds of data, all kinds of information, and even guarded and protected him, told him when he was in danger. Gave him advice. Um, This is more like an intelligence that you can come into contact with when you do divination practices uh, or work uh, with your ancestors where you come into a dialogue, if that makes sense.
0: Well, you know what you're making me think of, and I wonder if this is different. Um, you know, there are people out there, and for the life of me, I can't remember their names now. It's been so long since it was something I actually thought about or talked about. But some of the people who channel uh, spirits, Seth maybe might have been one, or um, a few others uh, were, were famous for channeling spirits. Um, would those, Would that be the same thing? Um, or, I think about Edgar Casey, you know um, he was able i don 't know if he was uh, tapping into the Kashic record or if he had some supernatural intelligence that informed him I, I I just wonder what you think about that is are we talking about something different or maybe it's the same
1: no it's, it's you're totally right it's the same thing it's like an informant right um, they, It's very similar, I feel, if you read the literature, and when I was doing my research, I kept hearing everyone describe it in the same way. So channelers, essentially, they get information that there's no way they could know, right? So a good way that you can tell if someone's channeling versus if they're just kind of pretending or putting on a show is that they'll be retrieving data that it becomes – Um, past their realm of possible knowledge and this is true for example if you're getting like some clairvoyant readings you'll get a psychic who is able to get exactly correct answers and of course this in tradition is because they have a familiar spirit assisting and giving them the data or information and it takes the form of some of these intelligences or sometimes Uh, Your dead ancestor is the best way to describe it. But in the literature, you know, the way that these channelers are getting their information is the same ways that are described throughout pagan history of the oracles, like the oracle of Delphi, um, who, of course, gets all of her data and information in this fashion, which I mentioned in the book. I have a very large chapter on the Oracles and the Oracle of Delphi, uh, specifically, and how she uses a familiar spirit, which is a Python or a dragon, uh, that is an intelligence that gives her all of her information, so it's very much like a
0: channeler. interesting, interesting. Well, you know, I can see where now that you've expanded my um, you know my knowledge or my spectrum. Of, of what a familiar can be, um, I can see where uh, it—you know—it it just sort of opens things up to so many more uh, possibilities, you know, uh, for what a, you know, for what a—you know—for what a familiar uh, is. And have you found in your research that um, many cultures actually have stories of these—you um, know—helper spirits that uh, help humans?
1: Well, the crazy thing was, or maybe not so crazy, was what inspired me to write the book was I was like, oh, my gosh, every culture has stories of these things. So it really becomes a shocker as I was going just from country to country. And in the book, I try to include a lot of different countries' versions, and you can really see how they all have these same characteristics So they're talking about the same things, and I tried to really delineate that, where they're all, you know, giving information or intelligence. A lot of them in the ancient cultures, the familiar spirits give the witch or the practitioner or the shaman, whichever human being is forming a relationship with that familiar spirit, they really get these same kinds of things, and the relationships are the same. Whether they're supernatural intelligences or also animals, um, any animal spirits or nature spirits, both. They all have these same kinds of signatures, and it goes all the way back in history and is really around the globe. So it really seemed to me like this is just something that is in, you know, our human experience really was it became profoundly a thing that happened with with certain human beings
0: well and, and it makes you wonder too if we saw so much of it back then because people were closer to the natural world and they didn't have the distractions we have today um, and you know maybe they were just uh, able to tune in and um, Maybe more easily than we can today. And, you know, and sometimes I think, uh, you know, we're in in a way, uh, I, I don't know if this expression is going to make sense, but, you know, we get too big for our britches. You know, we disregard things like this. Uh, because, you know, we think we're so smart, we're intelligent, uh, you know, so we poo-poo this kind of thing uh, and dismiss it or, um, you know, discredit it, we marginalize it. And, you know, we may be missing um, a whole uh, realm of, um, of energy, if you will, uh, out there that, um, you know, maybe our ancient ancestors uh, were more tapped into.
1: Karen, you are so on point. It's it's really exactly the case. And there are several things that get in the way. Number one, as you mentioned, people are not connected to nature. So they can't feel nature. They can't hear the sentience of the living things, like a pagan who is connected to the earth can feel things. So I think due to a lack of feeling and our instinct we drop away and the other very important thing that you mentioned is that we think we know so shockingly when you think you know everything you're unreceptive to getting messages so in most of the occult work and the pagan traditions there's a thing that's called beginner's mind and um, my teacher Dr. Calvin DeWolf taught me and I was very grateful for this knowledge that you have to you know acknowledge that you're a dummy and there's there's just a lot that you don't know. So there's a magical thing that happens when you understand your limitations and you become kind of open like a receptacle. So you kind of create uh, an empty space and that's where you're able to receive knowledge and and gain learning and hear the voices of things like familiar spirits but now in our culture it's mostly that's cat if you're they teach you that if you hear a voice at all now you are mentally ill which there's you know a lot that can go into that conversation however right he's described his daemon as literally a voice that he heard in his head. So I'm sure there's positive and negative, um, you know, voices that you can listen to but the practice of listening to those voices has become completely taboo.
0: Right, right. Well, you know, people think of like, you know, the serial killer son of Sam, you know, he supposedly heard voices as well. So you know, so we're distinguishing here from the schizophrenic or someone who has a mental disorder. Um, you know that's something totally separate from someone who can tap into the natural energies of um, of, of the planet of, of Gaia. Um, so Maja, uh, one thing I, I, I want to hear more about because I know nothing about it. Uh, you me- You mentioned in your book uh, the Fetch Spirit. Um, i think it's called silgia maybe um in scandinavia um tell us tell me about that that seems intriguing
1: yes very
0: fascinating so
1: the fetch is a kind of familiar uh that's really like it very much is a servant to the witch and it's it's made from her libido so a witch who practices tuning into her instinct or desire nature, uh, who most of them are celibate in fact. So it really happens when the female stops engaging, you know, in in fun time for <laughs> dating, and reserves her libido and uses her natural libido force and it attracts this spirit called the fetch. And what the fetch does is it goes and gets what the witch wants. So, it, in olden times, that was the vehicle for basically manifestation. So, a lot of people now are really hip on all this manifesting, you know, magic, and you always hear about manifest manifest all these manifesting workshops um and essentially the way that that works is through magnetism i'm sure you're familiar with all of these kinds of things but the origins of those practices uh were through these these practices that would summon a fetch to you and it was all desire based and worked on a kind of animal magnetism that the woman has with
0: her instincts so, it so, give me an example. What would you send the fetch out to get for you?
1: Well, for me, <laughs> for me personally, I want Holy Spirit, but people will, of course, want all kinds of different things, and a lot of the literature that I would read, like from back in the day, um you know it was very stereotypical. People want money or uh, you know, sometimes if people are naughty, they would, you know, use the fetch to cause harm to people or do hexes or curses or all that kind of stuff, which of course has huge consequences. And the problem is when someone has a desire nature that wants to harm other people, the kind of fetch spirit you attract to yourself is very violent and not cool. So, a lot of people that would work with these energies would end up getting eaten by their fetch spirits or like, you know, have serious problems from engaging that. That's there's a lot written about that stuff. So I just wanna let people know, like if <laughs> you think you're all woohoo, I can just cause damage to people. Not you know, it comes a too high of a cost in my opinion. But uh, many people use the fetch to do things like heal other people and work with disease or bringing in babies or trying to bring blessings to people. But sadly, I think mostly they were used to get things like money.
0: Okay. Well, and and, um, uh, you're reminding me, um, not too long ago I read the All Souls trilogy by Deborah Harkness, and uh, one of the witches from medieval, well, no, it wasn't medieval times. I think it was back in... Um, maybe the 1600s or something. I think that might have been when they were. Oh, I I, I don't know. I could be totally wrong about that now. Uh, but it was like during the days of Shakespeare and, and mm-hmm. those folks. And I, sh- I should know when Shakespeare was around, but I, I'm not recalling it right now. Uh, but anyway, uh, one of the witches during this time period had a fetch, and she almost used the fetch like um, uh, a helper you know uh she it, like like a like a third hand almost you know if she needed to, somebody knocked at the door, she would send the fetch to open the door and and you know welcome the person in kind of a thing um and it seemed like it was kind of this uh translucent. Uh, entity that resembled the witch that sort of you know floated around and was kind of at this witch's beck and call uh, to help her when she needed help. Um, that sounds a lot more benign than what you've just described. I, so I guess you know the the, the fetch is re, you know reflective of the nature of of uh, the practitioner.
1: Exactly. It's actually a reflection of your libido. So it's uh, really just your your personal libido. So like you mentioned, uh, de- like I said, depending on what you desire, right? So some people only desire power. So they're going to have a very nasty fetch. But if it's if people are helpers and you know server servers then they have a very lovely fetch a beautiful fetch that's where we get the word fetching um as describing someone as attractive right it's this and also that that word for like when the dog fetches the stick it's like go get that for me dear <laughs> it's exactly. like oh, exactly.
0: it's right? send
1: it out yes yes that's the i'll have to read
0: that book that sounds wonderful yeah, it's a great trilogy. Um, you know, and uh uh well, when they started last year, um it it's come to television now and uh the first um you know the first book was was the the first series so to speak but I don't think they get to the fetch until maybe the second book but anyway <laughs> um and I tried to get Deborah Harkness on the show but uh but I I was not successful unfortunately but you know you look also in your book you know Familiars and Witchcraft you look at the Incubus the Succubus, Doppelgangers um so the Incubus and the Succubus um those tend to um have you know or, or looked upon negatively do you think that's a fair um, you know estimation of those sorts of familiars I guess you're, you're calling these familiars too um, or is that sort of just the uh, you know you know the the way it's come down you know is, is you know being misunderstood
1: yes I think it's It's a little bit of both. I feel like in my research of the incubus and succubus, they will also serve the witch or the person. But as I mentioned, familiar spirits aren't always nice. So people, you know, there are the the lovely ones, like you mentioned in the book, or the cats who are your helpers and, you know, our ancestors who are trying to help us. But then there's very dangerous. Familiar spirits who are wild And not tamed um, And these have a lot of power So the the Problem is, is that people think They can control these spirits Then they find out they cannot There's very famous stories of King Solomon Working with some of these familiars Like um, You know I guess folks would know them As demons, I call them stinkers You know so <laughs> The The demons are also familiar spirits, just like the angels are, and they will assist and serve, but they are um, treacherous and dangerous. So the incubus and succubus are familiars that will do work for you, but if you lose control of them, it's like your dog is off the leash, and they can harm you. And they can harm other people. And there's a lot of stories of people getting into a lot of trouble with these more stinkers. So, for example, with the succubus, some people who do magic might, you know, purposefully summon one of these or work with one of these because they think they can get power and then discover very quickly that they don't have control and then suffer a lot of consequences. There's stories of Alistair Crowley working with spirits like this who then you know had all kinds of terrible things happen like his house burning down and you know disasters happen disasters so the incubus and succubus specifically will just kind of drain all of your energy because they become like a parasite so Just like in nature, yeah, in nature there's animals that are nice and then there's animals that are parasitic. So uh, the same is true, yeah, in my experience with the familiar spirits, there's parasitic ones. They're terrible. You want to steer clear
0: of that. (laughs) So just, you know, to wrap up on the incubus and the succubus, now the succubus is the male and the incubus is the female. Is that right? I think reverse. Yeah. Reverse. And and um having some traditions associated with Lilith um as uh, as being a succubus.
1: Correct. She was the mother of the succubi, and she made the succubus with these um kind of fallen angels. So as the story goes, She partnered up with these demon angels or fallen angels. And then together they created all of these succubuses, which became like her children. And she was known as a drainer. So she would go, you know, to men specifically and kind of vampire all of their energy and vital fluids um, and then cause a lot of problems for them in their lives. It was hard to tell. People say that she was attracted to certain men because they were either, you know, doing naughty things or, you know, you know how it's in Judaism. So I guess some of it was kind of guilt driven where people would say they brought her on her. But then in a lot of other stories, she was just roaming around taking whoever she could find. So it's hard to say If she's someone that you summon and work with, probably you can. But then also she just kind of finds victims and does it whether you want it or not, you know.
0: Well, and and then there's also the thought that, you know, she's been totally demonized. And, um, you know, and I, I mean, I can imagine some of the, you know, the feminists out there, Uh, You know, their hair's on fire right now hearing us, uh, you know, talk about her in, you know, in these terms because they would say that, you know, patriarchy just demonized her as the, you know, the first independent woman who, uh, you know, uh, went out on her own and didn't want to lay beneath Adam and, you know, she couldn't be as equal. She was having none of it, Uh, so they made her into, you know, this uh, succubus Cavorting with succubi and doing all these horrible things
1: Yes, that is a very good point And I will clarify uh, Because it's important to make this differentiation My research on, I'll just go ahead and let you know That from what I found Lilith, in my opinion Is actually the male shadow And she is not even her own thing. If you go and read the actual texts that talk about Lilith, a lot of people, we get this broken telephone effect through the literature where they just read something, copy and paste it on the Internet, okay? But if you go into the Jewish literature, when you read what actually happens and who Adam Kadmon is, Lilith is his shadow form, kind of like Osiris and So if you're familiar with the Egyptian myth, Osiris is the god, and he has his animal or shadow nature, and that's the set animal, and that's a part of him or half of him. So he's like a being that has two parts. And then there's Isis, and she's separate. She's not part of that. So if you read about Adam and Eve, it talks about Adam and Lilith. And to me, from what I read, it sounds like Lilith is actually Adam's shadow, much like the set animal is the shadow to Osiris. So she actually is unrelated. Yeah, right? If you read the real story and don't just look back on the you know, interwebs, uh, try and see it from that perspective because that was how I viewed it. So it's kind of funny because, yeah, I feel like she's more the dark nature of the man and isn't even an actual woman.
0: Interesting. So let me say back to you what I think you just said um, in my words, and you tell me if I got it. So you're looking at Lilith as not – The you know the 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 one who came before Eve. Um, Eve was always Adam's first wife, and Lilith was really just this shadow of uh, of Adam's nature. Is is that what you mean?
1: Exactly. And if you look at the 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 word Adam Kadmon, but of course you have to look at all the myths. So you'll see a lot in occult. There's a a man who has a double face This is also the Janus God So you'll see a man and he has a face on the back of his face And you'll see this all over the place And in Egyptian hieroglyphs You'll see Osiris will have an extra head On the back of his head He'll be two-headed If you look at the alchemical literature You'll see something called the hermaphrodite
0: Or the androgen,
1: right? So it'll be this thing, one being that is actually two parts. And it's the, you know, yourself and then your counterpart and your shadow. And the reason I feel like in Judaism it was depicted as the feminine, as Lilith, as a woman, is because our counterpart is the opposite polarity. And Carl Jung talks about this, of course, at great length. Uh, in terms of the anima and the anima. So really Lilith is really just Adam's, you know, anima.
0: And so Eve would have had um it would have had hers as well.
1: Yes, do you know who hers was? <laughs>
0: no, tell me. You've you've got me going now. This is intriguing.
1: <laughs>
0: so Eve's shadow
1: is a Zuzu. And Pazuzu is a very famous demon. Um, of course, we all know him from The Exorcist. So, if you've ever seen the movie The Exorcist, they talk about Pazuzu, who is the demon that possesses, of course, the main character in the movie. And if you go into the ancient Jewish literature, there's two main demons, and it's Lilith and Pazuzu. One is feminine. One is masculine and the masculine one goes and is with Eve. Pazuzu is the serpent or that whispers in her ear. He's, And some people say that was Lilith that did it. But if you go into the literature, you'll see that the one affiliated with Eve is this masculine shadow. And the one affiliated with Adam is the feminine shadow. So, As humans, we actually have two beings. We have our self and then we have our shadow self, right? So um, this other part of us is our polarity.
0: Interesting. Well and it also reminds me of the Egyptians. You know, the Egyptians said we had the Ka and the Ba and uh I think uh, maybe at least one other aspect of our of ourselves as well. But you know what, before we go there, this and this is intriguing, I'm loving this. Thank you so much, Maja. This is so much fun. Um it's we so have to fun. take a break and It is. Uh, We have to take a break, and we'll be back in uh, less than a minute here. Uh, But first I have to invite listeners uh, to hear this clip uh, from the trailer for Joe Carson's film, uh, Dancing with Gaia. Most people see humankind as really separate from nature and separate earth i'm as much of this earth as a rock or a tree and i came out of it this, this is my mother planet i grew out of this earth as long as we conceive of divinity as above us or outside of us or that our bodies are somehow less divine than spirit there's no way that we can change our course Well, uh, you were just listening uh, to a little snippet uh, from Dancing with Gaia, which is available only at dancingwithgaia.com. Um so Maja I just love when my guests teach me things and that's why I've been doing this for so long because uh, more often than not uh, this always turns into a learning experience and this is such a fun topic Um, myself um, I'm very interested in um, you know Egyptian oriented things Um, you know I'm very much into you know Isis and Sekhmet and uh, the Egyptian goddesses is is, you know how I was lured into all of this Um, I'm wondering what you can tell me about the Egyptian magical literature that maybe I haven't heard about or what do they say about familiars or or any of these um, supernatural intelligences
1: yes I also love the Egyptian literature as well it's, uh the stories in it are just amazing so the Egyptians also had many levels of familiar spirits uh, from animals to, you know, they would, it started because they would domesticate the animals. A lot of animal husbandry practices were found in Egypt. And so they absolutely had pets and familiar spirits that were animals. Uh, The way that the cat plays into it, is from Egypt, which I mentioned in my book. So to let people know, this will get back to Halloween, so it'll be fun. <laughs> so, but it's very sad. I don't want to laugh and play it off. But the, the pagans in Egypt would worship the goddess Bast. So, of course, Bast, for folks that don't know, she was a cat goddess. And the Egyptians would have statues of Bast in their homes, and they would keep cats as pets. So, when the Christians came in, specifically Emperor Theodosius, when Christianity was taking over, and in Alexandria they forbid people from practicing paganism, they destroyed all the idols, they broke all the statues, you were forbidden to worship any pagan god. So, if you were caught worshipping a pagan god, you were murdered. Many people are not aware of the pagan genocides, but they were real. And one of the ways that they knew you were pagan is if you had a pet cat. So cats Uh became very, right? They became very dangerous to have because they marked you as a pagan or a witch. And then later there were more echoes of this as there was a pope who sent out a papal bill in Europe that cats were demonic, and this was all based on the earlier Theodosius garbage. So this later pope in Europe said that cats were satanic and you couldn't have cats. So they ended up murdering all these cats in Europe, and you couldn't have cats as pets Also, because that marked you as a Satan worshiper or a witch. And so they killed all the cats. And ironically, that was when the plague spread because, of course, it was overrun with rats and vermin. So they just ended up, you know, spreading all this disease and killing all these cats and all these people. What a mess but the, the tradition of pagans or witches keeping cats goes all the way back there. And I think the important thing to mention is that even through all of that
0: persecution, witches still love cats. <laughs> well, and, and, you know, and in, in that um, that fear of cats, you know, is still alive today, especially black cats. I mean, they say that, um, you know, I'm a fan of uh oh, that that guy who comes on TV, uh, you know, who who tells people how to solve their cat problems, and uh, he always says that, um, you know, kittens... In shelters, uh, the black ones don't get adopted out, and that's so sad. Um, I, I wonder if, by any chance, you know where the the you know the idea of the black cat being unlucky comes from? Did you happen to stumble across that in your research for the book?
1: That was from the papal bull as well. So in the pope's uh, in the pope's bull that he wrote, which for those that don't know, a bull is basically a decree that the pope would make and then everyone has to listen to it uh, but in that specific bull, and i'm forgetting now which pope it was um perhaps one of the no i don't think it was one of the john pauls i want to say pope gregory perhaps um and he targeted black cats specifically in that papal bowl so um the, and it's terrible it's just a superstition. And, you know, people are so strange with those kinds of beliefs and thinking something's evil. And so then they have to, you know, project their own shadows onto it and kill it. It's, it's flabbergasting, the ignorance.
0: Yeah, I mean, they're gullible, and you think, I mean, the Egyptians were smart enough to keep the cats because the cats ate the rats that were going to eat the grain, um, you know, and then, uh, like you're saying, we have the plague because they uh, did away with all the cats, and uh, my first uh, thought was, hmm, I guess they got what they deserved. i <laughs> It's not very nice, I though. I take that Karma. back. Karma. <laughs> Karma. Um, so so um, Christians and Jews, um, I, I think from your literature about your book, uh, they demonize the familiar spirits. Um, why is that? I mean, were they afraid of them or what was the deal?
1: They all use them too. So this is what I just really wanted to get across in the book they forbid the use of familiar spirits on the pain of death in the Judeo-Christian material. If you work with familiar spirits, that is justification to murder you. And specifically, if you're a witch that works with familiar spirits, you're you're dead, you know? But the Christians have one of the most famous familiar spirits, which is the Holy Spirit, which is a dove um, that is, All over the place, and that's only one of their familiar spirits that they openly worship, you know, hardcore. I would say that's, you know, pretty much as as blatant as it gets. And then in in the Jewish literature, the actual story of forbidding witches to use familiars is so ironic. There is this witch of Endor. If you want to Google the story of the witch of Endor, she is a witch who works in a cemetery with familiar spirits and ancestor spirits. And this king, King Saul, forbids witches to do this. But then he gets into some trouble and he hires her to do the work that he had made against the law because he needed it. And then he uses her services, you know, and then the whole story is very ironic because, of course, many Jewish patriarchs utilized familiar spirits over and over again, like I mentioned King Solomon. So it seemed to me like most of the story was that it was okay for men to do it, but not for women. Mm. So,
0: so, the, so the demonization maybe comes in, not just the gender thing necessarily, but because they associated the familiar with, uh, with the devil, would that be what you're what you said
1: that's what they say and they say that the familiar spirit is a negative influence that it's heathenistic that it's demonic um you know and all of these other things but in the book i say you know there's a lot of stories of witches having real relationships with their familiar spirits like marriages And even children, if you look in the fairy literature, a lot of humans would intermarry with these familiar spirits and have children. And, of course, in the Christian story, Mary has a sexual relationship with the Holy Spirit and has a child. If you look at that story in the perspective of these ancient pagan stories of familiar spirits and how they interbreed with bloodlines and things like that, I have to say, I find them to read very similarly.
0: Interesting. That's an interesting uh, viewpoint there. Well, and, and, you know, getting back to the idea of, um, you know, familiars, you know, the way you've expanded the definition, you know, the guardian angels or the angels in Christianity, they would be familiars. Absolutely. You know, like well, like you just said.
1: Yes, yeah, very much yeah. so, because they're guidance. They guide and protect, and that's really what the familiar spirits do as well.
0: Yeah, wow. So I don't know if you can answer this. I mean, maybe this is an unanswerable question, but if somebody asked you how prevalent or uh, familiar spirits, could, what would your answer be?
1: Ooh, that's a good question,
0: I would say
1: from, like you mean right now or kind of through history, if I was to say right now, I personally would say that there's, um, boy, if I was to give a percentage, maybe like 30% of the population has these kind of interactions. I have met several people um, that have interactions on different levels with animals, with intelligences all these things of course i'm in la (laughs) so (laughs) we kind of all flock here you know uh, to get away from everybody else but it's not everyone although i do feel like anyone can develop these relationships but it seems to be uh certain people have them and then other people not so much
0: Well, and, you know, the witches I know, um, I mean, I think probably most of them who have a close relationship with their cat, they probably loosely call their cat their familiar. Now, whether the cat actually assists them doing anything, well, that's a whole other story, you know, but you feel like you have this, um, you know, this, this close, intimate relationship with you know, with, with your cat. I mean, and then the other witches that I've known, you know, they have snakes. They or maybe resonate with, with crows or ravens. But that's sort of the, uh, I mean, I honestly don't know of a witch who has the ability to um, work with her familiar in the sense that it assists her unless I'm not, you know, unless I'm not defining the word assist Broadly enough, what do you think about that? I feel
1: like, yes, I think you're correct. <clears throat> when
0: it, I, I feel like, you
1: know, it is like your friend. So <clears throat> it's almost like I, I feel like many people are intimate with their pets, certainly, and probably can tell what their pet is thinking, you know, knows when their pet is hungry. But you're right, it's really like that service that the pet provides in exchange, you know, which of course, love and Their their being is a big one, but with most of that definition, there really would be some kind of, you know, either guidance that they give you, maybe save you from a fire or, uh, you know, something of that nature would boost them into that familiar spirit category.
0: Right. Well, now, well, I invite my listeners, <laughs> seriously, this is no joke, I invite my listeners to email me if they have a familiar that goes beyond what I just described, and it's more in the realm of assistant, as you're talking about, Maja, I would love, wouldn't that make a great anthology? <laughs> I would if, love, uh, if we, we need could. those stories, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. I like that. Um, so tell me, what what have I not thought to ask you about familiars that you think uh, my listeners need to know?
2: This is
1: so fun. I just have had such a good time talking with you because you asked such great questions. We got to cover quite a bit of the topic area, I feel like. Um, maybe the the last one or or another thing that we could bring up since we didn't speak on, you know, the animals, the cats, the Halloween stuff, the shadow. Boy, we really (laughs) didn't get into a lot. Um, The other thing that is mentioned in the book as well is um, that marriage thing that I kind of loosely talked about, or more specifically, the soulmate. So there's this um, quality – of a familiar spirit where, like you mentioned, with people's pets or, um, you know, some of the other things that we could come into contact with as a familiar, that a lot of the literature have this reference to them that they are a soulmate to the witch, as if it's almost um, ordained or something. And those kind of relationships, um, are talked about at length especially with a lot of the oracles actually and the witches of old they would not get married to humans and they would a lot of times be celibate and then it would kind of attract or manifest their their soulmate um, being that was a familiar either in an animal or natural form or one of these kind of fairies or sometimes angels too of course there was all those stories of angels interacting with women and there's all this weird soulmate type of stuff i don't are you familiar with that term at all most of us think of it in terms of like a romance novel
0: yeah yeah more more that way but you know i do have a good friend who had a cat that um, she was so close to that um she believed uh you know that that it was it went beyond just kind of the normal um you know cat um you know guardian relationship i mean uh i i believe she almost saw that cat as uh her partner you know uh as Yes, it's like their my partner right um yeah,
1: there's a, right. yeah one of my my favorite stories of that is the famous scientist Nikola Tesla who was unmarried he mentioned that he believed a pigeon was his soulmate.
0: Wow. Well, and I mean we well, think have... about this, okay? Well, I mean, you know, a pigeon, you know, I mean, uh, poor pigeons, some people think of them as flying rats, but, you know, you think of, uh, you know, a raven or a crow or these beautiful macaws. I mean, there's so many beautiful birds, but if, if someone, you know, um, I'm thinking about reincarnation, you know, and if you, or, or shapeshifters, you know, I'm sort of thinking in terms of if you could inhabit something other than a human being, when you come back um, you know, the next time around, what if your, you know you know what if what if my husband next life comes back in the body of a cat you know, and we happen to find each other? I know this sounds crazy, but I don't know you know I'm thinking about my friend with her cat who she was so close to and felt like it was her partner.
1: You know who said the exact same thing that you just said was Pythagoras. So Pythagoras said the reason he was a vegetarian was because he believed very strongly that that very thing could happen, and that either your partner, he mentioned that he thought his mother uh, could come back in the form of an animal. And so this, you know, thing that you're saying was stated by Pythagoras himself.
0: Well, I guess I'm in good company. I won't feel so weird for saying it. Well, and, and, you know, uh, before I forget, because uh, I know we're about ready to wrap it up, we actually went over uh, over the hour, um, getting back to that, uh, the All Souls trilogy about the witches, it's actually about witches, vampires, and demons. Um, they, there's a lot of alchemy in, that uh, flows through all the books, too, and I know you're into that as well. So you would probably love that... Um, you know that that trilogy uh, so I just wanted to you know mention that as well. Uh it's it's a really smartly done um the books. So uh it might be oh, something you enjoy, Oh, I
1: love it. Yes, I will pick it yeah. up.
0: Well, um I guess that about brings our interview to a close. Um it's been great fun and uh uh you know, I hope uh, our paths cross uh, sometime. You know, we're in the same general vicinity. Uh maybe something will come up at some point and uh, we'll actually meet in the flesh. Do you ever go to the Museum of Woman or the Goddess Temple down in Irvine? Are you there? Maja, hello, Maja, uh, well I'm not sure what happened, I see she's still on the switchboard but I cannot hear her, well um, I will uh, bid her a fond farewell and thank her for being on the show tonight, I'm glad whatever happened uh, didn't happen sooner, uh, and just a reminder her website is Witch of the Dawn. Dot com, and the book that we've been talking about that uh, is out uh, now is Familiars in Witchcraft Supernatural Guardians and the Magical Traditions of the World and it's put out by Inner Traditions and Bear Company and I've been speaking to uh, Maja Dau so thank you so much Maja And uh, I'm sorry for this disconnect uh, That was so weird
2: um,
0: But uh, I did promise uh, I would uh, I would let you guys Hear that, that Musical piece that I started uh, If I can find it Here quickly uh, The Sawan Knights uh, I think that was by Jenna Green uh, just give me a minute here uh, Here we go So this is Samhain Nights by Jenna Green And um, Happy Samhain uh, to everyone Happy Halloween uh, Thank you for tuning in And uh, I will be back with you uh, Next Wednesday Good night
2: Light the fire Holding the Welcome now the spirits of a sour night Light the sacred fire, hold your lover tight Welcome now the spirits of a sour night The veil between the other worlds and the of mortal welcome the ancient ones, the earth becomes their portal Let not your heart be heavy, let not your head be light Keep aware and quench your fears on the sour night And circle to protect you from your fear As we celebrate the harvest and the Celtic New Year Come with me into the woods Keep in the sacred cold And dance with me for life and love As the elements unfold Light the sacred fire Hold your at tight Welcome now the spirits of a sour night Light the sacred fire hold him up tight welcome now the spirits of a our night we honor our ancestors loved ones who have passed we keep